Welcome. You're listening to Sanseat. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Sanseat. On today's show is Sandra Sneed. Eight years ago, she was unemployed and discovered that she could write journals. Not writing to say, dear diary, it was more about the pen becoming the genius where it was just writing and writing and writing, giving out gems of beauty. She discovered later on that she had this gift where she was God's scribe reading the soul like a dictionary and consulting with the source every hour, every day, every minute. What if you could actually be the genius and let the mind turn off and let the editor just write? Her website is www.sandrasneed.com. Hello and welcome, Sandra. How are you doing today? Oh, excellent. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for having me. Ah, oh, it's a pleasure. Tell us about how you got interested into the area of spirituality and holistic living. Sure. Um, it was actually a pretty dramatic uh, moment. I had been an atheist or was an atheist at the time, but I had lost a job that I loved and a man I loved, and I, I was having panic attacks. I felt so unloved, unwanted, and my breathing pattern just became super uncomfortable for me. So what I would do to try to quell that, I, I would write and I would write a, a journal in a journal and I would write and write without stopping in an unceasing verse and, and it was all about of course my lament and what I was going through at the time but I, I literally filled up a whole spiral notebook with that constant flow of written word and then I opened up a brand new notebook and I was about to write on the top line what happened is I, I didn't notice it but the pen had already been moving and when it stopped, I noticed that, and I looked down, and what was written was, unemployed, it is my assertion, you are employed by me. So the notebook just started talking to me, and that sparked a year of solitude. And in that year of solitude, I filled up 10 spiral notebooks, taking dictation from this being we call God. How did you feel when it was just writing? before this dialogue or after during the year of solitude both Both. well before it was mainly my in a way speaking talking to myself or or just talking in a way that was this constant barrage of my emotions but then when that shift occurred i found myself instead of speaking into the the notebook I began listening to the pen and the pen was was giving me information you know at at every turn of the cursive of writing so it was a combination of profound curiosity and then 
profound uh, reprogramming because the person I thought I was that was coming out in the pen prior to that profound moment was completely different than the person that I discovered that I really was or the being I discovered that I really was through this dialogue with a greater mind, a greater being, something that that reached far out into the universe and back to talk to me. And when you said solitude, was that not speaking or was just complete silence for writing? Well, since I had lost my job, I made a decision once this started to happen, I made a decision to go into a state of solitude. I was living in New York City at the time, and to live there, you know, requires a great deal of effort and hard work. And I had had enough money saved. I had uh, stocks that I had purchased, so there was money and value in that. I collected unemployment for a little while as well. And I went through all my life savings, essentially. So I didn't go outside of the house except for the groceries and basic necessities. And I stayed inside living a relatively monastic lifestyle in the basement of the rental house that I was in. How did that feel, living a kind of monastic life in some way? It was a feeling of self-imposed separation from the world. I didn't watch the news. I didn't listen to the news. I The only intake I took from media was either movies or uh, stories on internet, radio, things that would occupy my mind without scaring me. I figured out there were things that would trigger my panic and trigger my panic attack. And usually it had to do with things I didn't have any control over about the way the world was, the way the recession was, or the way things were that I couldn't control. If I felt them interfering with me, they would trigger panic attacks. So I would block those things out so that I could stay within this very comforting dialogue of the being we call God in my, in those notebooks. And in writing, did that connect you with your true self? Yes. You know, I've, it took a lot of years to really find out what true self means because when we just look at it intellectually, it seems to appear as if there is a true self and a false self. But really what true self is, is that it's the nature of aligning to the great wave of vibration that, that runs through every cell in the universe. And we call this God. Um, we could also call it the force. We could call it um, great spirit. What, whatever the name that really triggers that relationship for you is beneficial. But true self is when your individual beingness, individuated form of you, not this body that we are, that is our vessel, the vessel we're contained within in order to, to experience a three-dimensional existence, but I, the true self that this body is contained within is also connected to that which is the universe. So it would be like one of your cells in your body waking up to being contained within your body and then able to communicate with every cell in your body. And in that communication, it's, it's able to travel throughout the body, maybe to heal the entirety of the body. 
Um, that is what an individual's awakening to their true self is. They're awakening to the the notion that they are contained within an infinite being, and that infinite being is contained within them. So that's how I would explain that you know realization of what the true self is. Why did it take you so long to come to grasp with us? There are so many things that have to take place in a reorientation when one is being reoriented to to one's perspective of oneself. And having to deprogram me, God had to first deprogram me from the programming. You know, I was 39 years old, so I'd had many years of programming in this world. Um, I worked very hard to make a, a success of myself from an individual perspective that was very different from understanding a self. It was like all up to me to make this happen for me to survive. But when you come to the notion of self, it's a lot to turn that ship around. You know, it's a lot to turn back and look at yourself and then through the self, not just looking at the self and seeing an identity that is above and beyond this human experience, but then to acknowledge that 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 individual nature has power beyond measure. That takes a lot of proof because it, we we live a lot in the brain and the brain needs proof to, to identify certain characteristics and um, experiences. And there are experiences and characteristics in the spiritual nature of oneself that are not provable. They are they have to be believed first and then the deeper you see and the more you believe the more you see so that magical construct in and of itself takes years to master and and it is a mastery of the self constantly looking within to see beyond the appearance of what's outside of you so that's that that's just the beginning of that conversation i'm sure i could spend a whole hour just on on that mastery attempting that mastery so you practiced to master the master then indeed indeed and, and that takes a dedication and a focus that can easily be derailed by the life you're living as you are securing your living making a living succeeding in certain goals achieving certain goals if you don't constantly reassure home base and go back to the home base, then everything that is coming from that space of your creativity can derail you from the master that you are that is creating that. And did the form of creative writing put you in that space with the master? Oh, absolutely. And thank you for asking that question because it, I think it might be helpful to your listeners to know what specifically I did that resulted in this awakening. And I found the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And in it, she talks about the morning papers and how to turn off your inner editor and the practice that it takes to, to eventually shut that editor off entirely and allow the free flow to come from you and I know that that free flow that came from me is what opened the door to my being able to hear the higher self and the higher higher nature, which is God. When you say the pre-editor, is that like letting the genius into the front door? 
Let me look at that, what you just said, letting the genius into the front door. I would say it's like letting the genius out, <laughs> finally letting it out because we trap it by the ego and the ego is an important construct. It's what allows us to survive in this three-dimensional world. It allows us to have an identity that notices what is me, what is not me, what is what is dangerous for me, what is good for me. The ego is an important part of that relationship with the self. But when the ego doesn't know it's more than what it makes of itself, it can trap the true self. It can trap the genius because there's this fear of they'll think I'm weird. You know, they'll think, um, what will they think of me if they hear this from me, this thing that is me? And the genius is, is always wanting out. So all throughout our childhood, there are glimpses into what our genius really is. But it kind of got pummeled out of us, you know, until we became an adult and we just carried on with life without it. The rediscovery of it then certainly is releasing it from the traps of this human world. After reading that book, did you understand where you wanted to go? No, I didn't have a clue where I wanted to go. It just gave me some tools that I unknowingly and unconsciously thought these tools would benefit me. And the way that they benefited me at first was simply to just give me some solace from my own thoughts that were eating me alive. That there were untrue thoughts about my uh, not not meaning anything, life not meaning anything, my, my not having any worth, I, that nobody loves me, that there isn't anything about me that's worth having around. Thoughts like that, that were eating me alive, this tool, this one little tool, gave me some respite from that. It ultimately became a great key to open a secret door. But I didn't know that at the time, that that's what it would do. And what was this tool? Learning to write without the editor. Learning to turn off that editor. When did you kind of understand to activate this tool to your life? Once the tool did its job, it gave me access to a being and a nature that ultimately saved my life, saved me from my own cyclical depressions. I would have, I'd had 20 years of cyclical depression, twice a year in the spring and the fall. When I, when I suffered from allergies, it triggered depression. And so here was entry into a world that, and, and a being I could talk to and communicate with who told me I was amazing and beautiful and, and perfect. And in the way that I was amazing, beautiful and perfect was unique. And so because I had that way to go now, way to get there and reach that, I no longer needed the tool that got me there. The tool became listening, the listening. And to turn my mind from the speaker to the listener. And, and that was the profound moment and change and tool that then led me out of never having to suffer depression again. Amazing. It probably took you a, a bit of time to master being sure. a speaker to a listener. Yes, yes. 
the biggest mastery, I mean, once I figured out how to do it, it's kind of like, um, I guess, learning how to ride a bike. Once you learn how to ride a bike, you know how to ride a bike, but you may not know how to ride a bike in traffic. You may not know how to ride a bike uh, fast through dense traffic. And that's what took a long time or a bit of time was learning how to access the listener and the speaker that was not me, access that even when I'm distracted by activities going on around me. Is this the period before you write your, new, your first book or is it still more to go down the road before you write your first book? That's a good question because the book became something that was written for the world, for the rest of the world. It wasn't for and about me. That, and that came seven years. My decision to sit down and do that was seven years after my year of solitude. And learning how to live in the world with this amazing gift, and yet this gift I had not even considered giving to the world in any way that it was that it was mine. I was too afraid, too afraid to come out of the closet in any way until it just, there was no way to keep it hidden anymore. Too many signs were coming that said it was time to sit down and tell the world what I've been told and even more. And then in that first chapter, that's when my mission was kind of laid out in front of me. And I didn't prior to that first chapter know that this was a mission. Is that what the book was about or did it grow legs and arms after that? Oh, it definitely grew legs and arms. Uh, the first chapter was really just to get, I, I wrote a book proposal to look for a publisher. I didn't want to write the whole book and then seek out a, a publisher. I wanted to write a book proposal and get a first chapter out and, and then seek the publisher. And, and upon finding that, that's when I was able to free myself to whatever it was God wanted to talk about. And what God wanted to talk about was the nature of souls getting trapped on the planet, how that works. Um, the It was a whole foretelling about what the next two generations are for the for the nature of humanity that this book came out as a warning for humanity in addition to giving individuals a very inspiring story about who they are who they truly are but also to start waking people up that they need to start walking their own purpose so that and then that's my mission is to is to begin to wake up the masters and to get them on their path so that we as human beings are either preparing to adapt for what we're creating in this world as what would ultimately be our demise or to recreate an entirely new planet out of, a, of an awakened consciousness. During and after writing it, did it bubble up concepts that you did not understand at that moment? Oh, sure, sure. And these dialogues with God always do. That's what makes it such a challenge as a scribe. I call myself a God scribe because language is how I interpret the great wave of vibration. And in that language seeking, I'm, I'm always looking for the right word to the vibration I sense. And when we have a preconceived idea about the way things are, we can block 
the vibration of the true, what's true. So at each stage of breaking me of what I think I know, there's that realization of something far more profound. You know, God will always take it, take some concept that we think we know and take it to a whole new level, a whole new level. And what is it like to write with the vibration? I call it recording in resonance. It's not like automatic writing. Automatic writing is more like a channeling. You're channeling an entity, and that entity then is sharing your auric field, and then they literally are moving your pen for you in their vibration. It's a channeling. Automatic writing is in, is in that way. But this kind of writing, since God is in every cell of the universe, and you can, if, if you can present a question and wait for the answer to come from something other than you, if you're practiced in the way of that kind of writing, your hand is taking dictation or recording in the resonance that is the answer. It's not my will that is willing the words. My will wills the words of the questions and I'm in my brain when I'm doing that but then the will of the listener is allowing it's allowing my hand and pen my arm to receive the information and record it in the nature of writing that's what it feels like to me when I'm scribing it do you find it scary at times channeling this vibration while writing I think at the beginning it was because in the beginning I was opening and opening and opening, and since this was a, a process of learning and a process of opening, I didn't know how to shield myself from other beings that might also be in the mindfulness spectrum, in the mindfulness uh, dimension. So I would be thinking I was talking to God, and then and then suddenly the dialogue would take a turn and it would turn into something relatively nonsensical and in that nonsensical it had a darker vibration to it how I learned to discern is I would say God is that you and I would hear a no put your pen down put your pen down no do not listen do not listen when I learned the distinct differences and how they felt in inside me then I would know if something was attempting to communicate through me that wasn't God. I could raise my own vibration in order to receive only source material rather than material coming from other, some other entity. And that was in my first year of solitude that I did that. You talk about the energies and the, the vibration conversation with God. Was that through meditation or was it just writing it? <laughs> it's funny you ask that. Um, because I have a funny story related to that. When it when it first started happening, it was just completely writing. It's like the minute the the pen went down, I would forget God. I would I would go back to my my emotional distraughtness. Um, I would think the way the world thinks. I would think the way humans think. I would get caught up in my own ego thoughts and my own self absorption. And then I'd, I'd feel, start feeling bad again, and I'd go back down in the basement, and I'd start writing again. I would, you know, put myself in an askance, a state of asking, a state of askance, and the pen would flow. And about three months into that practice, 
it was on a rainy day and the the air was really electric it was kind of a a greenish color in the air sometimes spring storms bring this kind of greenish color in the air and uh, everything was really electric in feeling and I went down to start writing and the first thing that came out was I do not end with this pen and I didn't I didn't get that I didn't understand that what that meant and and I would hold my pen there again in a state of askance and God would say again I do not end with this pen and I still didn't understand it finally third time God said I do not end with this pen and all of a sudden there was this huge lightning strike that just lit up the whole house and the the windows shook and the uh, walnut tree in the backyard the the top of that tree falls to the ground and I go running upstairs and I'm just like <gasps> screaming and I'm and my head is going I do not end with this pen I do not end with this pen and I, I finally calmed myself down enough to realize what God was saying. God was saying that I need to remember this being and find all ways to allow that communication. So I started to open up my visual mind and allow God to come to me in pictures and symbols. I, I opened up my auditory mind, allowed God to come to me in a voice within my mind, which first had to begin with me being comfortable with the sound of my own true self voice, which which was is a whole nother story in and of that self. So all of these things that I had to start opening up to in order to allow God to be with me and I to be with God throughout, there were different masteries I had to achieve, which were in and of themselves forms of meditation. When you mean mastery, is like mastering the sense, the senses not being there, right? Mastering the difference between what is God talking to me in my head and what are my own thoughts. What is a great imagination and uh, what is actually imagery being given to me in my mind's eye? Mastering the differences and the nuances. I mean, because they are so subtle. Mastering those nuances uh, took a lot of dedication and ultimately I would say maybe a good three or four years even after that year of solitude. After your, your first book, did another book come or it was just um, writing for freedom? There are other books that are nearly completed. The problem is the one that is after this one that is sitting in a Word document in my, on my laptop is so complex that I do not trust anyone will buy it <laughs> just by opening it up. It is so complex. So I would like another opportunity to sit down and write a different book that would establish me a little bit more before this very advanced book. And, and God's given me permission to do that. It was really just where my state of mind and curiosity was that led to such a complex book. And it was helping me to, it was, I wrote it the year after this book before I'd actually gone public, before the publisher had actually purchased the first book and um, I'd, before I'd gotten any press on the first book. 
The second book was deepening my understanding of will, my will to move this message forward and out into the world. That's what it was really preparing me for, more so than um, information that the world needs to know. And the first book, what did you call it? The title is What to Do When You're Dead, A Former Atheist Interviews the Source of Infinite Being. Why did you choose that particular title? <laughs> well, the after the book was written, I was I was actually going to name it The Year I Fell to Earth, but that was and that's what it what what it was called when I was shopping the proposal around and I'd only completed the first uh, chapter which was mostly about me. But when when the publisher gave me the go ahead to complete the manuscript, I realized there was far more than me that's in this book. An agent had asked the had posed the question to myself and a number of other writers, why should your book be published? And what came out was people are going to want to know what to do when they're dead. And that's when he said, look, that would that would make an incredible title. And so I just took a chance and and named it that, although you know, some people do think it sounds more fiction than really the content of the book. Uh, but mostly I think it's just an intriguing title to bring people maybe to the back cover and then the back cover to bring to the first chapter and so on. When writing this book and other writings, where do you write? A number of different places, anywhere really. The question for me, I think, that you may be really asking is what is the process of my writing and I do that by hand it is all handwritten now I do short things like you know I'm also doing source talks now uh, the the book was published in 2014 and when it was released I had to go public and when I went public then that's when I progressively learned that I am not meant to present material. I'm meant to be the material the same way I'm not meant to write. I'm meant to allow in the scribing. I'm, I've also trained myself to what I call verbal transliterate. So instead of the vibration coming through my hand and arm, it's, it comes up through my vocal cords and mouth. So I can speak from source just as easily as I used to scribe. And the benefit to that is that the information comes faster and it can come in actual dialogues with people. So I do soul readings uh, with individuals uh, as a part of a way to make, to make a living and also to wake up the masters. But the process of scribing is so much more personal and delicate when I can use pen to paper. And I have spiral notebooks, filled spiral notebooks all over the house, you know, thousands of pages that are probably will ultimately be published someday, provided I establish the legacy I think this work is, is worthy of. And do you find the source coming through you through vocally, do you find that more exhausting than writing it? Only when I do soul readings, the exhaustion comes after the flow recedes. When the flow recedes, then my body is left to its own vulnerable, own vulnerability. Makes makes me very physically very vulnerable. 
And in that vulnerability, then I, I have to rest. The exhaustion has come, like when I do events or expos and people come to my booth for soul readings, I can't control um, who comes to the booth. So there are inconsistencies when people have inconsistencies in their own connection to God or to their soul. It's in those inconsistencies that can be very exhausting to my body, to me. Um, but otherwise, it, it can be very enlivening as well. And when you channel the source, what does it feel like? It feels like a barrage of information. And it feels sometimes, sometimes I'm aghast at the, the gall with which God speaks. I personally would not have the confidence and courage to be so blatantly honest about the way things are and the way people are. Uh, God can sound from me so much bigger than everyone else in the room that I'm, I am somewhat embarrassed by my own appearance the appearance that I look and appear so much greater than what I ever experienced about myself as a human being separate from this ability. In this ability, do you feel like you're, you're naked in some way channeling this enormous information? Very much so. Very much so. You know, I feel like I have to take ownership of the information, which I don't. Um, I don't have to take ownership of the information because this is coming from something far greater than what I consider Sandra Sneed. This is information I draw from infinite intelligence. But I feel as if I have to take responsibility for it. So if any information comes out that seems to be contrary to science, I feel very vulnerable to that. Even though it always turns out to be right spot on, I'm no doctor, I'm no scientist. So, so I mean, information about physics, about uh, the evolution of, of species, about um, the construct of the planet comes through me. But since, you know, I don't have any training in this stuff. So it's, it's, it's a bit frightening to allow myself to, to have that much responsibility for what's coming through. And looking back, do you think that having this responsibility would you have said to your younger self that this would be uh, part of what's going to come I don't think I would have even comprehended what it meant had I been given this information been, had I been told that I would be speaking um, or that I would be a mouth for God to speak through now there were some clues in my early childhood that something like this would happen and and one of them was I think I was around four years old and I guess they had taken they being parental units of some kind stepmother and uh, father but they had taken my writing utensils away or things that I used to write with and I had a little red bible I don't know what compelled me to do it but I went inside my closet and I wrote with this little red Bible, the red, the red dye on it made a mark, and I wrote on the, the back wall of the closet. I was so compelled to write without, you know, not having any concept of language or writing. 
at the age of four. But this gesture to write was so ingrained in me that I would find anything I could to scribble and to scribble on. And um, I remember one time at Thanksgiving time, we, you know, kids, you put your handprint on a piece of paper and you turn that into a turkey. And in the United States, Thanksgiving, the turkey represents one of our holidays, Thanksgiving. And uh, for some reason, I felt it would look better with writing on it. And I still didn't really know how to write, but I scribbled all over it. And I remember my stepmother saying, boy, this would be really pretty if it didn't have all that scribble all over it. And I was really offended. I was like, this is beautiful. What do you mean? All that scribble? It's beautiful. But, you know, it was pre-awareness or pre-cognizance of what I was to be. Amazing. And do you see your your writing and channeling as art? Mm. <laughs> I love that you asked that question, Erin. Uh, you must be a bit of, a, of an artist yourself to have to have clued into that because it is indeed an art. I, I was trained as, a, as an artist, as a photographer. My career before this all happened to me was as a photographer and writer. I loved to write as well, but it wasn't something I thought I was going to pursue to make a living at. And so all that I do now as the scribe and the source communicator puts all of my love of art into it, uh, uh, poetry, acting. I was an actress in high school, and I can play, God lets me play characters when God tells stories when I'm doing these source talks. And I get to play characters, and um, I get to tell poems, and I get to make them up, or God's, God's speaking them through me. But it feels like I'm, if I were sitting down writing them, it feels like I was making them up, working from the great news. And I get to do it in real time. I get to both, I'm not even sure how to describe it. I get to be the creative, the creator, the auteur. And also it gets recorded at the same time and it's listened to all at once. So it becomes this moment in time that is absolutely brilliant. And it's so brilliant. I, whenever I listen to the recordings, I, I listen anew every single time. Sounds like you're, you're living the movie, you're the producer, the director, the actor all at once. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Living the movie. Oh, my God. That was gorgeous, Aaron. Yes, indeed. Inside the movie. Wow. Do you feel like um, that in just writing, you've neglected the photography as well? Somewhat, yeah. Well, photography became such hard work as a profession that you know, I put the camera down with some relief because I, I was living in New York City and I was schlepping equipment all over New York and all over airports. I would, you know, travel a lot doing photography. And I just, at the, you know, by the time I hit age 35, I was just getting physically exhausted and in pain a lot. I later found out that the pain that I suffer from is related to my gift, but I didn't know it then. It just, to me, felt like pain and exhaustion from the weight of a camera. And when opportunities came where I became more of a writer than a photographer, it just felt so freeing. 
And I had actually been a, a writer since my early days as a child. It was the first A's I ever made in school in junior high was my writing from writing. And then in college, I would make straight A's in anything that had writing in it. And I was on the newspaper staff at, in high school as well. So writing had always been an important part, but somehow I fell in love with the camera at the age of 20, and, and it kind of sidetracked me from being a writer. Do you feel that um, the world of imagination is the divinity speaking through us? <laughs> Boy, are you a good one. Yes, yes, yes. This, this is the key to one's God. To finding the God within oneself has to go through the imagination. In fact, everything that you experience, there is no such thing as something not going through your imagination. And, and imagination doesn't mean just what you picture. It, it means the picture you create from what you experience. And you can create these pictures out of Let's say I close my eyes and I walk around the room touching things. I can build a picture of the room and the space in the room just by touching these things. These are then building my imagination. Now, if you can do that within the corridors of your own mind, start feeling and sensing where can your imagination take you within your own mind, you can build a picture of the universe that is far more expansive than anything that, that science um, or art or anyone else other than yourself uh, can create. And you just simply create it by following the corridors of the mind, but discovering the genius within that will educate you to be what it is your imagination is telling you you are. In the corridors of the mind and through the imagination that we talk about that is related to God, how does the writing fit into all this? For me, and, and I know this wouldn't be true of everyone, but certainly true for writers, people who were born to write, people who cannot stop themselves from writing. Writing is like the thing they go to to express themselves, whether they are professional writers or amateur writers or... Um, want to be a writer, whatever stage of writing you are in, if you are born to write, then the imagination is dictating to you through language. And you are looking for the words that correctly describe some connection to the mind that is giving you an experience of yourself. And even in that experience of yourself, let's say you're writing a short story and the short story has characters in it that at first may not seem like they have anything to do with you. But because you are living each character as you are describing them, it is you. And you, the you of you that is making this incredible character is exploring itself at each stage that it deepens an understanding of the character too, or the experience the character is having, the response to the experience the character is having. So this, this great imagination that is the, 
the great curiosity could very well take you all the way through to God. And if you don't believe in God, you could still experience God, just not knowing that it's God. I believe Ayn Rand did that. She was, you know, a very um, vocal about being an atheist. But when you read Atlas Shrugged, I hear God talking all through that. And she very much believed in writing from the deeper mind. How are you able to disconnect from the creative aspect to the logical in order to communicate in the world that we know today? I've had some practice with it now. It's it's a relatively easy way for me, but I would I would describe it like a serpent's mouth. The way that a snake devours its its prey. It unhinges its jaw. You know, it has to disengage the purpose of the jaw in order to completely devour what will feed it, what will feed it. So the intellect is looking for logical order based on finite information. When you disengage from that finite progression where there is a an A, a B, a C, a D, when you disengage from that, you see that you can get back to B by by any other means other than moving straight from A. Not sure that that makes sense. Well, it's it's because universal law doesn't work in linear progression. Universal law works in spirals, in uh, tree forms, you know, dendritic patterns. It's multifaceted. That's one way that, that I would explain about what I do to let go. That must mean that nature must play a big role in bringing you to the front of providing the creative, which would be God, and the logical, which would be the mind, to create amazing work then. Oh, nature is definitely an, an incredible inspiration to the kinds of questions I ask God. What I would correct your language just a little bit on, what I have discovered is that there is a difference between thinking thoughts, which occur in the brain, and the mind, which is in everything that we are connected to. When you can imagine the possibility that the brain is contained within the mind instead of the mind within the brain, but that the brain is contained within a mind, so too is the heart contained within that mind, this body contained within that mind. There is a mind that is, that is external to the body So it gives us intuition, interior information from all kinds of extrasensory perception. Then you, if you can imagine the mind in that way, then you supersede the brain in order to get to that mind. Brain is there as a processor of mind. It, it tells your body how to pick up a pencil, put it on a piece of paper, and move it, the brain tells the body how to walk and talk um, and manipulate things in its hands. It is the CPU, but it is not the true mind. 
true mind is what made that brain, and it's unseeable. I may have asked this question already, but I'll ask it again. Um, if you could tell your younger self of what you would change to get to where you are at the moment, what would you suggest? I, I probably would have told, probably would have told my twenty-year-old self that this love of photography is a hobby. It is not. It is not your ultimate purpose to learn photography, understand the nature of photography, but don't make a career out of it. Make a career out of being a writer. And I think that that would have been a way to establish my name as a writer younger um, and learn all the ins and outs of the, of the publishing world um, rather than having to try to learn all that as I am on my mission because it's a bit of a distraction to the mission. And is there any authors or writers that inspired you? Yes, funny. Um, I'm inspired by any piece of writing that gets me past the first paragraph because that's about all the attention I give it <laughs> in order to read. The one thing that came with my ability is dyslexia. So my reading is extremely slow. So the, the work that I devour as a reader has to really align to my imagination for me to want to eat so slow to take so long to to complete a book um, but I would say probably some of the most inspiring writing has come from people like um, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein Dickens, love Dickens' work. I, I'm also a big fan of Ayn Rand and, and Joan Didion, uh, stylists, you know, writing stylists who aren't overly affected by their, by their own style, but that, they, that that's where their, their curiosity comes from. Carl Jung is, is also an amazing intellectual, but, but his intellectual work delved into a mystical side of our psyche and that that is very inspiring for me as well because it satisfies me intellectually at the same time it moves me and inspires me in my mystical self. What type of pen and paper do you like writing with? I like a small pen because I have small hands and if the pen is too too big it, it uh, wears out my hand too fast. So I like it to be small, a narrow pen. And then I like um, a ball, a, a gel ink ball that moves smoothly. And I like just plain old college-ruled spiraled notebooks. That's my favorite. You mentioned that you have dyslexia. How do you edit your work then? The benefit to being a slow reader is that the editing can be a lot more methodical and um, methodical. Um, I feel like I just made a new word, methodical. (laughs) 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 Kind of liked it. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, going line by line is really important. Now, the the work that, that is God stuff that's written... I don't really have to edit that. I just have to, if I don't understand it, ask another question. Um, but that that work is usually 
almost completely perfect just the way it is. My writing, though, that I purposely or willfully write, there's just a certain rhythm I'm looking for in my editing. And I want it to be the minimum amount of words possible to get the most amount of information in. So whenever I can delete a paragraph or a sentence or a line or words within a sentence, that feels so good. The more I delete in editing, the better it feels. Is there anything that you have planned or want to produce for 2016? I really want to get the book done that I've started and there's a part of it that is already available for people to buy on my website for a dollar and you can get the Kindle version or you can get the uh, PDF for a dollar and it's Relief to See Her Arrive, The Lost Symbol of the Adam and the Eve. And this was a dictation that God gave to me during my year of solitude. I don't know if it was a two hour long dictation or what, but it is the original story of Adam and Eve that was given to a God scribe thousands of years ago. And it was passed down through oral tradition But when they wrote it down, when they finally wrote it down, they changed the nature of the story. It's a story of free will. And they eliminated the story of Eve and her purpose. And they they turned it into a story of this is what happens when you disobey the master. But in the story that God tells through me, Adam and Eve were artificial intelligence. And they were created in a way that they had to learn how to think for themselves. And that's what this whole strategy of setting up a disobeyance was all about. God set it up so that Adam and Eve would have to disobey God in order that they learn to think for themselves. And for God, this was a moment of a masterpiece. The moment that these, these beautiful beings became self-contained was an extraordinary moment in, in God's creative measure. So the story has been lost. Uh, the true story has been lost. And I want to write that book that's related to that, that first dialogue um, about the nature of, of humans and why they were made and what's their purpose and what do they have yet to fulfill in order to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. Do you think we are artificial intelligence? I do. After after understanding God in the way that I do, I believe that the human form, well, God has actually said it. God has said that humans are a consciousness in three dimensions. We are consciousness in three dimensions. Our consciousness exists in other dimensions, but human form is when So man, man is spirit, M-A-N, the word M-A-N is spirit. Human is combining humus with spirit is human. Woman is just man with a womb. It's just man with a womb, a womb, which obviously has a whole story of creations related to that that I, that I want to get told, for God to tell that story. But that... These bodies, these vessels that we call human are to contain our consciousness so that we are artificial intelligence for God in order for co-creation to occur. Very fascinating. Um, from what you've read 
experience learned and your story. Is there anything that you'd like to share that would um, be valuable to myself and the audience? Well, my question would be to that question, do you want to hear it from source directly or from me? I'd like to hear both versions. Okay, great. So my version of that would be the one thing that I would like for your listeners to hear is that each of us were born to be something specific, something original, something of purpose. And and the more you explore your own originality, the more you'll discover what it is that is your purpose and start to live that. And it's, it's, it's an essential part of being human, an essential part of the incarnation. So now I want to turn it over to God. And how, how I do that is I have a mnemonic device. I say, God says, that puts my mind in the God mind and allows me to allow that greater mind to speak through me. Okay? So, so here we go. And the question was, what is the one message that Source wants to share today with your listeners? Yes. Okay, so God says, the, the thing that we would like for people to understand that are your listeners, your very special listeners, is that there is nothing in this world that should or could trap you from being great. If you are not great, it's only a matter of perception to discover your greatness. Greatness is a perceived condition. So let's say that you are in a state of depression. Your depression is a figment of your imagination. And that imagination is stuck in a very small corridor of the mind. That small corridor of the mind can easily be broken through the minute you start to allow the possibility that you are already great, that you have achieved greatness in many different lifetimes, and that this lifetime is just something else specifically you want to use in order to experience your own greatness. This one message for your very special listeners is going to change one person's life, and we know who that is. So in that life that is changed, in the nature of that greatness, we hope there are 20 more who look for what is it in me that will change to understand my own greatness. Wow, that's beautiful. I want to say thank you very much Sandra coming onto the show and sharing your wealth of knowledge your experiences, your story and many more Thank you so much Erin for having me Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show If you want to learn more check out sandseat.com that's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.